socio-political issues. One man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. Welcome to episode 54 of You Don't Have to Yell, or as they would say in ancient Rome, episode live. All right, I think everybody's gotten that by now and seen. It's the bad boy of nonpartisan political podcasting here. And before we get to the meat of the stew, <laughs> it's disgusting. I want to announce that YDHTY has picked up an editorial advisor actually a while back. Adam Yaffe, formerly of NPR, has joined us to provide editorial guidance and a five o'clock shadow that appears before lunch. It is just luscious. So, if you see him walking the halls of YDHTY, be sure to say hello. Now, this week, J.M. Crevier, Green Party candidate for Michigan's 2nd Congressional District, is here to join us. This is a district that last voted Republican when FDR was in office. Now, J.M. started out as a Reagan Republican before budget cuts took away the grants he was using to fund college, and lack of health insurance forced him to move back to his birth country of Canada to receive medical treatment for an injury he received on the job. Someday, I swear to God, I'm going to get a Green Party member who didn't start out as a Republican, but until then, I find them very interesting. Now, in addition to talking about some of the environmental challenges the 2nd District faces due to industry and agriculture, I have an epiphany on healthcare that really changed my way of thinking. I'll be back at the end to elaborate, but until then, here's JM. Can you just tell the listeners uh, who you are and and uh, where you live and what you're running for? Jean-Michel Crevier. Uh, Jean-Michel is the JM part. Uh, or Crevier, if you want to get real fancy on it. Uh, yeah. from, from Holland, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the four nine four two four running for Congress, second district against uh, the Honorable Bill Heisinger. Yeah, that's a district too. I I, I I took a look. They've been represented by a Republican, or or your district has been represented by a Republican forever. All but, I think. Uh, yeah, all but two years since nineteen thirty five. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not surprised. Describe the second district for me. Uh, the second district runs uh, basically west of Grand Rapids from, uh, let's see, Wyoming across to Holland where I live. And it goes about 60 miles, 70 miles north mm-hmm. through uh, Muskegon, Grand Haven, and, uh, and it ends up at Ludington. Mm-hmm. And it goes uh, let's see, east from there and then back down to uh, Grand Rapids. So it encompasses uh, the Manistee National Forest, a lot of the Manistee National Forest as well. Okay. Yeah, and I guess I'm not going to, insult the intelligence of of the audience but i will just state that that is wyoming michigan that is a yes i forgot to explain that yes thank that's, you that's that's okay that's okay i just i'm i'm figuring most people caught on but if there's that one person wondering how you're running for a multi-state district they can consider that question answered um and and i guess as as far as like the makeup is it urban rural like what's the it's a mixture of both both mm-hmm. i would say it's mostly rural uh although grand rapids definitely more urban mm-hmm. uh muskegon 
uh, pollen, bigger communities. Uh, but uh, farming and manufacturing is basically uh, what's going on here. You spent the first part of your life in in Quebec, correct? I was born in Quebec City. I moved to St. Louis, actually Ferguson, uh, when I was three. I, I have to ask this question: Did you did you switch the JM because you were sick of people mispronouncing your name? Um. Well, mostly people can't pronounce my name. Yeah. Uh, or at least looking at it, they, they have no idea. And I was working on a crew in uh, at Bush Gardens in Virginia. And uh, this was after I had uh, moved back to Quebec for college my first year. And I had uh, in high school, I was John. Uh, so when I moved to Quebec, I started using Jean-Michel again, and uh, I was working on a crew in uh, Virginia at Bush Gardens, and uh, one of the guys said, I can't call you Jean-Michel, man. It's, it's, I'm going to call you JM. I said, I, I like that. So I've been using that ever since. So you, you, you moved there as a kid. What was, what was it like growing up? Pretty idyllic, maybe. I mean, yeah. little little town next to the beach. A little Norman Rockwell-ish, yeah. You ended up back in the second district. How how's it changed since you were uh, a kid? Holland itself has gotten about four times bigger mm-hmm. than uh, 20, 30 years ago. I think that's mm-hmm. the biggest change. Just the the growth, the the farms, the farmland has become uh, you know condos, mm-hmm. um, at least in this city. So there's like more. I guess urban sprawl. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Zealand, the little you know sleepy community next to us, has probably I don't know how much that's grown, but I'm guessing a lot more than fourfold. Hmm. What's driven the growth? Is it just people? Just you know, people having kids, or is it are people moving there for some reason? Like, um, not anymore. Uh, I think just the the manufacturing base. Okay. Um has always done pretty well. Um, I think that's the big attraction and the farming has always been there. Maybe people are attracted to living by the lake. Now you're running as the, uh, you know, the, the candidate for the green party. You know, one of the things I found really interesting about your bio as I was doing my research is you were actually a Reagan Republican at one time. Correct. I did vote for Ronald Reagan in 1984, the year that I graduated, and the first year I was able to vote. Yes. God, what was the what was the attraction to Reagan? <laughs> uh, I think it was the the Norman Rockwell upbringing and the belief, you know, that you should you should be able to do everything yourself and that you shouldn't spend money on other things. We were a big Reagan household. Uh, my family was, and this was also, I, my, my background is, uh, I'm Irish. You know, my grandparents came mm-hmm. from, came from Ireland. So, you know, the, your average Irish, Irish household, you walk in and there's, you know, on the mantle, you've got a picture of Jesus, a picture of the Pope and a picture of JFK. Yeah. You right. know? So, so to go, so to go towards Reagan was a bit, uh, uh, you know, a, a bit, a bit, uh, counterintuitive. And so for you, like, when did, when did that all change? Uh, that changed when I was at uh, school in Boston and uh, Reagan budget cuts caught up to my education and I couldn't mm. return to the school that I was going to in Boston. Got so, it. 
So you were getting like, what were you getting like grants or a scholarship and that all dried uh, up? Grants and scholarship. Yeah. And it, it did. I couldn't get any of it. And this school is like, to give you an idea, I mean, this school is 50 grand in uh, tuition these days, not including yeah. the cost of living in Boston, which is probably another 30 grand. On oh, top of that. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's bananas. It is bananas. And so it's just, crazy. Yeah, and to let the to clue the listeners in. Uh, so you, you went to Berkeley. Yeah, college, I feel, yeah. I feel so lucky to have been able to go there. It was just such an incredible experience. Yeah. And wow, like I'm having so many geographical uh dilemmas to solve for folks. So for those of you who are not music geeks like like myself and and JM, I'm uh, so glad that you are explaining these because uh, you know I've had to explain this stuff all through my life. Oh yeah, so I'm, so, I'm so glad that you you're on top of it. I'm, I'm doing I'm that jump, for me. <laughs> I'm jumping on the grenade for you, JM. So, um, so Berkeley is in in Boston is B E R K L E E. It's one of the premier schools of music uh, in the in the country, at least. Um, I'd and say the world. The world, pro- well, do, do you know it's its most recent esteemed alumni is the uh, Korean pop artist Psy, hmm. okay. uh, who uh, wrote and performed Gangnam Style. The, I didn't know he went there. Yeah, as I, I can, know. yeah, he went, to, he went to Berkeley. He went to Berkeley. Um, yeah, and uh, I think it was, who is it? Uh, what's his name from Chick Korea too? He went to Berkeley, I think, right? Um, boy, he's had so many people in his band. I'm sure quite a yeah. few of them went to Somebody went, somebody yeah. went there. Yeah. Yeah. But needless to say, premier school. So you're, so you're there, you're studying music, funds dry up. I love telling this story. I'm in the dorms. I've got my cello case up, uh, you know, in by my bed or something. And this guy walks in and he goes, uh, yeah, I'm looking for a cello player. You know, I, I see your case. Would you mind coming into the studio sometime? And yeah, that'd be awesome. You know, stop by anytime. I'd be happy to do it. And he walks out and my roommate looks at me and he goes, do you know who that was? And I said, no. And said, that was Delphio Marsalis. So, so I met him like my first day at school, like my first hour there. It was, really? It was, it was crazy. And Delphio's the, related to Winton, I assume? Yeah. Oh, got it. So then you had to leave Berkeley. What what did you do after that? Uh, after that, I moved uh, to Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti, actually. Okay. Uh, and uh, I went to a community college for a year, and then I got into the University of Michigan, and I was able to uh, finish my diploma at the University of Michigan. What point did you did you decide to move to Canada? Because I know you spent some time back uh, there. Right. After the crash in uh, 2009, uh, I was in Ann Arbor. Uh, there's a, a couple big factors for me, uh, actually three. Uh, one of them was that I never got a stimulus check. Another reason was that I had gotten into an accident uh, and uh, the whole left side of my body was numb and uh, the workman's comp doctor was telling me I was fine. Um, and I was thinking, well, you know, I can get free uh, medical in Canada and mm-hmm. You know, that, that had always been a like fallback position for me Yeah, if I ever got hurt and I got hurt. It's interesting you bring that up because you've spent enough time in both countries and in both healthcare systems to really have a clear firsthand perspective of the differences. 
Uh, I think a lot of times we are subject to what I'll call a lot of propaganda here about what universal health care looks like. Because, again, I have relatives in Ireland. Uh, I agree. So, yeah. so for me and, and for the folks listening, you get to Canada where they have free health care. What's the system like compared to the U.S.? Uh, well, since I had been out of the country for 20 years or whatever, it took uh, 90 days uh, before I could uh, get back into the system. Uh, um, but after that, you know, I, I got an MRI and that showed that I had a cracked vertebrae. And at least then I knew that something was wrong and I knew, you know, at least there was hope that I could get better at that point if I you know, just took care of myself knowing that. And also about medical care in Canada, my mother lives there. She had cancer and they were able to take care of it. And it actually came back. They got her in and took care of the cancer and she's back up and doing her daily walks. That's, that's super interesting. Cause you know, one of the things that I, I hear a lot of, and I'm sure you hear a lot of being in, in a deep red district as well, uh, is that, you know, universal healthcare, government healthcare automatically means inferior, automatically means cut services, automatically means a lower quality of care. And my experience abroad has said quite the opposite, frankly, you know, I've, I've, I've never met someone from outside the United States who would trade their healthcare system for ours. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, free is definitely me. So that uh, was very good. And the, it seems top notch. Yeah. And that, I don't know why we can't do it here. Yeah. Well, and, and well, it's, I, I do know why, but <laughs> what do you think? What do, what do you think the reason is? Uh, I, I would say insurance would be the number one reason. I, I would agree with you there. I would agree with you there. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think that it, it seems to me and, and tell me if I'm wrong here. It seems to me like when you were in the U S you were almost fighting for healthcare, fighting for a proper diagnosis. And when you got to Canada, they were just able to diagnose it and offer proper treatment. Am I correct? I think it goes further than that. I think, okay. you know, I think the the workman's comp doctor, his job was to like tell me I was okay, no matter, no matter if I was or not. That's what it seemed like to me. Hey there. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with JM and my terrible French accent. And I wanted to take a short break and ask a quick favor of all of you. Now, you listen to YDHTY because you are tired of the state of affairs in Washington. And you know we can do better than the Coke or Pepsi options our two-party system delivers. It's a system where you only have to be not as bad as the other candidate to win. And as a result, voters' only demand right now is that you not be terrible. That's quite literally the choice and it's no way to run a democracy it's the reason why elected officials are able to serve their campaign donors over the wishes of the voters and it's the reason we need to open up our political system to competition we need a multi-partisan democracy in the united states and 
we can do this by taking action at the state level. It's actually the place where you and I as individuals have the greatest impact. But we need a lot of individuals to do so. And so here's the favor. Right now, share YDHTY by clicking share right next to the episode. Super easy to do. If you want to take it another step, write a review. I would love to hear what you're thinking. I would love to hear what you like and what we could do better. I want to make 2020 the last decade that the two-party system reigns over American politics. I can't do it without you. I can't do it without more people. So as always, I appreciate your attention. I appreciate your support. And on to 2029. Back to the show. I'm going to pause for a second to just make this philosophical point to folks. One of the big arguments against government-sponsored healthcare, single-payer healthcare, uh, is that whenever you give the government power over something, it's very, very difficult to take it away. And and to an extent, JM, and and you may disagree with me on this, to an extent, I I, I do believe that to an extent. I do believe that bureaucracies are self-perpetuating beyond their, uh, in in some cases, beyond their uh, usefulness. Um, but, sure. but, but, but that being said, there's really not much difference between a powerful, uh, well-funded, Healthcare system in the United States, government-funded healthcare system, uh, and the threat that that might pose, and I think the current threat posed by a large, powerful, privatized healthcare system that can afford a bunch of lobbyists to influence legislation that positively impacts their profit margins, and 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 I think the folks listening really ought to kind of digest that a bit because. Uh, when you have a market that does not fluctuate or is not held by the laws of supply and demand, the free market can't help you out. You know, JM, if you have a cracked vertebrae, you're not going to wait till treatment gets cheaper before you get it checked out, right? Uh, well, some people have to. So. Yeah. Well, and that's it, and it's a false choice. So, again, sorry to deviate a bit, but I, I wanted no. to make that I wanted to make that point to folks. And I think the the point is that we're giving the power to the doctors, not to the government. Yeah, to, to counter that a little bit. Well, absolutely. I mean, you look and like really like we don't have a in terms of single payer. The the real difference here is that is who's paying. It's is it going to be an insurance company or is it going to be the government? And if it's the and what are the motivations of both? Estimates are that we waste a trillion dollars on the current system. So yeah, well, and, and I, I believe Canada's per capita healthcare costs are far lower. I know we're far and away the highest in terms of what we spend. Yeah, seeing the Canadian system and the American system side by side, did that have any influence on your views, or or not so much? I think so. I, I, it must have. I you know still have problems understanding the Canadian uh, and specifically the Quebec system. I guess, what are some of the downsides or what are some of the things that are tougher to understand about the Canadian and the Quebec system? Well, in, in my view, I think there's always been some kind of mimicking what's going on in the United States. And I think to an extent that's still going on, which is a, a little scary to me. 
we've we've talked a lot about your life and kind of how you got to where you are. How did all that get you to the Green Party? What what were the things that really appealed to you about the Green Party as opposed to let's say like you know one of the major political parties? I guess uh, I voted for Obama the first time. Uh, so at that point, you know, I was more uh, democratic, but then his whole energy plan was like $5 billion and it came out as this huge thing of, and I just went $5 billion, you know, that's, that's nothing. You know, there's a trillion dollars per year. Well, $650 billion subsidy each year for fossil fuels. And so is, is climate change and renewable energy one yeah. of your primary concerns then? You could say that, yeah. I, I think I, I want to do everything that's better for Lake Michigan, better for the, the people of the second district, better for everyone. Uh, I think uh, cleanup, or actually the, the rollback of the EPA has just decimated and will continue to decimate our lakes which everyone in the district draws their water from, except for the community of Hastings, which has well water. So, so I think that's you know primarily the, the first thing I want to watch out for. Uh, you know, every test has shown PFAS in the water. PFAS, you know, may not be a huge thing on the east or west coast, but here in Michigan with Dow Chemical up north, it's it's a it's a pretty big thing. What is PFAS anyway? Uh, PFAS is a forever chemical that uh, stays in in your body forever, and uh, you know causes cancer. And it uh, came from a fire retardant um, spray that they would put on uh, airports uh, is the biggest contributor, but it's also a part of uh, you know everyday items such as dental floss has this stuff in. It's it's just crazy, uh, you know what it's in. It's a, a lubricant, so you see it a lot in uh, industry. And actually, in Grand Rapids, uh, you know some of the, the older industry have buried the PFAS in the Grand River, and it's you know certainly leaching into the Great Lakes. So. Mm. Yeah, and that's one thing I think a lot of folks when they think of the Green Party. They primarily focus on energy and renewable energy because mm-hmm. that's kind of the. I, I think that it's 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 part it's part of a the the bigger conversation. There's not a lot of talk about the impact industry has on the environment, and to be honest, it's not something I'm all that familiar with. But it sounds like in your area where there's a lot of manufacturing, it's a pretty big deal. Uh, and I would say agriculture too is definitely one of the biggest con- contributors to waste. Uh, turkey farming in Zealand is, you know, biggest producer of turkeys mm-hmm. in the United States, and all that waste is uh, going somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and so a lot of that just runs off into the lake, then, huh? Yep. Got it. Got it. And so the for those not familiar, and I think I'd, I'd probably lump myself in there, I know there was a rollback of EPA, gui- of EPA guidelines. Specifically, what has that done in your area or how has that allowed you know, agriculture, industry, and so on to maybe have a freer hand with? Well, specifically, it's putting arsenic and mercury uh, directly into the lakes from the, the coal. Um, that's one of the biggest changes. Um, 
There have been other things that have allowed uh, industry to more easily get rid of their waste uh, as well, which uh, you know, Heisinger has, has voted for. Heisinger is a he's he's been reelected a few times now. He's been what in there ten years? Is that right? Uh, this is his nineteenth year. Really? Yeah. He has uh, written two pieces of legislation. One was basically uh, codifying a, a statute, mm-hmm. and the other was to deregulate fracking. So Got it. That's that's what he's done in twenty years. What makes him so popular in the district then? Uh, he's. Uh, you know, member of the church, outstanding, you know, citizen, uh-huh. one of the locals. So that's, that's, I think that's the attraction. Yeah. And he's also, and it's also obviously a deep red district. So, yeah. um, so that, that helps coming from Massachusetts where we effectively have had one party rule for as long as I can remember. Uh, you <laughs> yeah, know. it's, it's not the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like the, it's like the exact inverse basically. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm, and I, I think the folks who listen to this it's, podcast, it's good that oh, you go point on. that out. It's good that you point that out too. Yeah. Cause it's, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. It's well, and it's something too. I, I, you know, I, anybody who's listened to this podcast knows that, uh, I am a, my, my, you know, my North star, my guiding principle is that it's, is that if we really believe in competition, we really believe in, in, in free markets here in America, let's make it a competition. You know, like let's actually have a competition and let's not rig the system so that people are guaranteed or even that one party is guaranteed, no matter how good that party might be. You know, um, it's I I like to say that the only difference between the U.S. and China is we have one more Politburo, you know, and uh, and, Mm, you know, actually follow that. But well, well, so basically I'll, 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 you know, if you don't follow it, then some other folks might it might not. But basically, you know, in China, you have one party. Right. right? You have a party organization. That party nominates their candidates, says who people are going to vote for all that. Um, The party structure. Yeah. Yeah, the, the party structures of the two major parties in this country are identical. Um, Very you know, similar. Yeah, yeah. And so do you feel like, I know obviously there was Obama's energy plan really turned you off. Um, do, you, do, you, do you have the, do you kind of share in my sense of cynicism in, in the sense that, you know, the two major parties kind of nibble around the edges with wedge issues to garner votes, but in the end, a lot of what they do is pretty much exactly the same. Some definitely some of what they do is the same in their you know the financial aspect of it is, is controlling both of them. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say they're equal in policy. No. Um, you know, and and certainly I would. I mean, I know where my vote's going this year. You know, and anybody who's listened knows where it's going too. So I, I think the big dif- differentiation for me. It's that that we have better ideas. We may not have had a chance to implement them before, but I I think the ideas to do good in the country are what really differentiate the Green Party from the other parties. Yeah. Well, and that's what I've picked up with prior guests 
So um, is that the the ultimate goal is really to, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but the ultimate goal is really to restructure the economy in a more just way. And that doesn't just mean just in the sense of fair pay, just in the sense of safe working conditions, just in the sense of universal health care, but also just in the sense of you know, environmental justice. Definitely environmental justice. Uh there, I, I think we should look at any plan uh, that that would help, and this definitely seems like one of them. You know, Michigan was central to Trump's win. Part of that, and part of what was blamed, was the fact that you had folks who voted green at the time. Right. Yeah. Um, now, personally, I think if you lost a state within tens of thousands of voters you probably did a lot more to deserve it than the Green Party could ever do to take votes away. I think that's fair, yeah. That out of the way. This year, a lot of folks don't want to see another four years of Trump. Sure. Um, And I'm going to vote for, uh, and I'm going to vote for somebody. Who do you recommend I vote for? Uh, Well, he wasn't my choice in the Green Party, but Howie Hawkins, I think, definitely has all the ideas he definitely definitely seems very sincere, and uh, I I believe the platform. So I I would encourage anyone who's going to vote to take a look at the platform and, and look at the contrast. I, I think, and then and I think you have to keep Trump, you know, getting rid of Trump in in your mind. I think that's got a way on it too. So I just look at everything you can before you vote. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think the one thing I'd like to drive home to, to folks listening, and especially anybody in the second district who might be listening as well, is I, I, I understand everyone's concern with, uh, with voting, uh, with voting your conscience, so to speak this year, as bad as that might sound. You know, Mm -hmm. I do understand. I do really understand where uh, somebody who might have voted libertarian, somebody who might have voted green, somebody who might have voted one way or the other says to themselves, you know what, we just need to get Trump out. And right now that the way the system is structured, it's it's winner take all, you know, so Mm -hmm. I, I, I understand how people feel that that way. The other thing I'd say, though, is that the choice in the House of Representatives is is far less dire and the the choice in voting third party in the House of Representatives, House elections, Senate elections, um, is where you can really have an impact. That that does play into the psychology of, of voting from what I hear is that people tend to vote more or vote more minor party uh, down ticket than uh, they would for president. So. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. So I guess like with COVID then, what does the rest of the campaign schedule look like? <laughs> Oh, goodness. Uh, well, it's certainly not the beach time I was planning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that was the big plan was to hit the beach this summer and shake hands and walk around. and uh, But that obviously didn't happen. Um, so uh, I'm glad you're giving me a chance here. Uh, you know, hopefully I have more opportunities like this coming up. I know uh, I sent out a press release to the major media. You know, I'm the only one who's on the ticket so far. That's going to change today. But so, I mean, the only thing they want is uh, money don't have to spend on the media. 
the thing that I really took away from this conversation and the thing I want, I think everybody listening to understand is that you do you're, the best place to vote your conscience is the local level. You know, the best place to have an impact. You're, you I like know, that. yeah, yeah, and and uh, and and I I think I think folks having only been exposed to one way of thinking there um, would really be well served by giving you a look. And I'll end the episode by saying, yeah, I've got a couple. One, oh, my, you do my, my little phrase. You go for it. Pagar por la paz, deja de pagar por la guerra. Pay for peace, stop paying for war. Ah, very nice. And see here, I was going to sign off with Bon Chance, but you totally, <laughs> <laughs> you totally upped me there. So awesome. Merci, monsieur. You know, getting back to what I said at the top of the show, JM helped reveal a false narrative we often hear in the U.S. about single-payer healthcare systems like the one they have in Canada, because we're often told government-sponsored healthcare takes decisions normally made between an individual and their doctor and puts them in the hands of government bureaucrats. And in reality, all our privatized system gives us is a situation where these decisions are made by a different set of bureaucrats, those of the insurance company. In JM's case, a doctor chosen by his employer's insurance company, arguably for the purposes of protecting the company's bottom line, denied him treatment. The Canadian Health Service, beholden to the voters, didn't. Nationalized healthcare isn't without its warts, but when a for-profit healthcare system uses the profits it gets to gain political influence so healthcare policy can be written in its favor, I don't quite see how a nationalized system could be any worse. Now, I've got a full write-up on the subject with stats and charts and graphs and all the things you geeks love on ydhty.com, so come by and check it out. Now, next week, we have got Nick Hensley, chairman-elect for the Reform Party. The Reform Party bears the distinction of being the one non-major party to win double-digit percentage in a presidential election and a governorship since World War II, but faced a decline after the Ross Perot days in the beginning of this century. I don't know if anyone remembers, that was Donald Trump's first presidential bid. In the episode, we'll talk about how Pat Buchanan used the party as a vehicle to get rid of bad campaign debt and how lobbyists get around campaign finance laws by making legislators eat with spoons. Yes, you're going to have to listen to find out. Per usual, music by Kvelertak, editorial guidance provided by the dread pirate Adam Yaffe. I'm going to keep throwing out nicknames until one sticks. YDHTY is producey. I say producey because that's how I wrote it in my notes. By the big Gino Jason Putney in North Carolina. Yeah! Until the next, this is Dan Sally. Goodbye. <laughs>